we stand for the gospel. The Holy Gospel is written in the eighth, 18th chapter of the Gospel according to St. Luke, beginning at the 31st verse. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Then Jesus took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on. And they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. And it came to pass that as he was coming nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have pity on me. And they which went before rebuked him, that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt that I should do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight. Thy faith hath saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. May I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please sit. Yesterday, Ash Wednesday, was a very revealing day for me. For by its end, I was forced to recognize Christ's presence as both one openly declared and also a hidden secret. I'd spent the early morning on the Euston Road opposite King's Cross Station in the parish, offering the many commuters what has been known as ashes to go. 
over a period of about an hour, we ashed around about 70 people who went away with the black smeared crosses emblazoned upon their foreheads. And the sign of the cross, when seen like this, is so very visible and for many unmistakable. Although my own mother, when I came home as a child with one of these black smeared crosses, got out the flannel and washed it away, accusing the church of making her children dirty. And then yesterday in the evening, in church at Holy Cross, the gospel reading for Ash Wednesday, which provides a strict instruction in hiding any sign of personal piety and prayer before others, lest you succumb to the sin of pride and make all your acts worthless. And the gospel makes mention of the God who sees in secret and who rewards in secret. His presence is a necessarily hidden one. So why then the showy black crosses? The simple answer is this, that these are not marks of a completed or successful act of personal piety God knows none of us have done or committed ourselves to anything deserving such a reward. Rather, these strange dark crosses made into a balm of burnt palm leaves and holy oil show forth on the human forehead the impending passion death and resurrection of Christ. As Christ's ultimate saving acts, they provide and the crosses are a sign of the truth that these saving deeds provide the key which inhabits, informs, and then crowns our own very testing experience of mortality. And with characteristic boldness, St. Paul reminds us in Romans that if we have become one in a death like his, we shall certainly become one with him in a resurrection like his. The crosses then are marks of our shaky, mortal faith and not our vanity. In today's Gospel reading from Luke, Jesus discloses his own going unto death as a kind of secret. I say a kind of secret because for Jesus, this disclosure is in fact an open one and even claims its veracity via the ancient prophets. But touchingly, maddeningly, the disciples do not understand that this dire prediction 
concerns their own Lord and Master, their teacher, their friend, and their rabbi. Remember the old saying, best spoken in a strong Yorkshire accent, which I cannot do, but I will try. There's naught so blind as them which cannot see. The disciples' misunderstanding is serious. It has consequences. It's to lead to a turning away from the Savior at the crucial moment. And it contributes to their status as fair-weather friends. But we should know that they are not to be so easily diminished. And our gospel reading saves them from any kind of summary dismissal. And this is because the gospels will always convey in no uncertain terms the radically compassionate, constant, merciful and forgiving God who never withdraws his favor or retracts his call from them or indeed from us. Even though from the human point of view, circumstances and persons stretch this trust almost to breaking point. Our gospel today shows this radical compassion in the healing of the blind man. He addresses Jesus as son of David or Messiah. He, this blind man, knows something vital that the disciples do not, that Jesus is Lord, the Messiah, the one who is to come. The man, the blind man, has done nothing more to deserve the restoration of his sight than that he believes this to be the case. Nothing at all. But for Luke, the gospel writer, this is the new reality, the one in which God the Father's endless and unsurpassable love and mercy is to be recognized as most fully present in the Son. And so the blind man's yes to this fact is enough. The inner seeing capability of the blind man is in Christ transformed by him into actual physical sight. But make no mistake about it, the inner seeing is being presented to us as primary. The Gospels all allow us to see that the disciples, and we too, inhabit the place of both seeing and unseeing. Our understanding of Jesus Christ helps us all the more to consider how and in what manner their understanding of Jesus, even though partial and unheeding, 
we see through a glass dimly, of course, is to be radically and painfully and finally joyfully fulfilled in his suffering, passion, death, and resurrection. And so in all this, as we have all arrived in this season of Lent, the solemn season, we are being called out and called forward. We are being beckoned to realize something in these 40 days and 40 nights. Finally, Jesus here occupies the place of the suffering servant. Jesus' messiahship and the pain and the tension of unwanted, unheeded disclosure must echo the frustrated message of the prophet Isaiah when in the experience of the rejection of his own message, he would say, you will listen and listen, but never understand. You will look and look, but never see. But we are to be encouraged today in this gospel for now in Jesus, Luke is reminding us that even given our partial seeing, our incomplete faith, and our own tendency to fall away from the Christian faith, God nonetheless believes in each one of us. And in this, we are never to be found lost or confounded even though it might feel like it. In his Son, Jesus Christ, we are never to be forsaken. Thus, he may still say to us, even now, receive your sight. Your faith is making you well. Wear your cross with pride. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.